This is Alumni Allowed, a podcast by Graduate Center students for Graduate Center students. In each episode, we talk with a GC graduate about their career path, the ins and outs of their current position, and the career advice they have for students. This series is sponsored by the Graduate Center's Office of Career Planning and Professional Development. episode, I sit down with Dr. Uday Madan. Uday earned his PhD from the biology program at the Graduate Center in the Molecular, Cellular, and Developmental subprogram. When we spoke, he was a scientific sales representative in cell media at Stem Cell Technologies. In this episode, Uday tells us about how interviewing and hiring processes differ between academia and industry transferable skills from grad school that translate well in sales positions, and the importance of building a long-term professional network. Can you just start off by introducing yourself and telling everyone what your current position is and a little bit about how you got there? Sure. Well, first of all, thank you for having me and thinking of me for this. So my name is Uday Madan, and I did my PhD through the Graduate Center. I was part of the biology program. The sub-program was Molecular, Cellular, and Developmental Biology. I graduated in 2017 from the lab of Kathy Savage-Dunn. Her lab is in Queens College. And I have to be honest, I knew way, way before I started PhD that I did not want to go down the postdoc route. And I, I came to that conclusion when I was an undergrad working at, I went to undergrad for, at Hunter College So I'm a through-and-through CUNY product. Uh, (laughs) And I knew working in Dr. Paul Feinstein's lab, where I enjoyed tremendously, I just didn't want to take the academic route after PhD. So what I started doing during PhD itself was starting looking for ways to basically branch out and do something to make myself a little bit different or explore other careers. And I made some progress, but I think it was a lot of basically shooting arrows in the dark and learning on my own because I just didn't have somebody who could provide the type of structure I needed and the structured guidance I needed to be able to make that transition immediately out of PhD. There's a lot of conflicting knowledge available. Do you need to do a postdoc for XYZ positions or do you not do? How much do the employers care about this? How much do employers care about publications or any of those issues that we in a lab or in an academic environment constantly think about? Uh, and when you're trying to assess your value outside of an academic environment. So <laughs> uh, I, I went through that whole juggernaut of issues. But I was very fortunate to have Kathy as my PI because even though she wasn't very aware of what to do outside and how to get a different type of position, she was able to help me by just inviting people from companies that we network with at conferences. And that actually got me an interview with a biotechnology firm. And I was able to interview there. But I never quite made the cut. Just I didn't know how to do the interviews. I didn't know how to get through the human resources interviews that you have to get through. Or from a scientific point of view, I was very sound. Uh, Kathy helped me quite a lot in terms of preparation. But there was all these other aspects of interviews that I just wasn't prepared for back then. So I went into a postdoc shortly after finishing up my PhD at Wild Cornell. And I was working on mechanisms of thyroid cancer and zebrafish. And I just wasn't happy. And Funny enough, I didn't know how unhappy I was until I left. And I was like, oh boy, okay. <laughs> and it's not that you cannot be happy in a postdoc. There's lots of people, it serves a goal for them. For me, it didn't. 
It's just that I didn't want that to be part of my career. That's not the path I wanted to go down on, so it didn't serve a purpose for me. So I ended that postdoc very shortly after. And after that, it was, I think, a very familiar story in the sense that I was adjuncting at three different places because I still had bills to pay. So I was adjuncting at Hunter College, I was adjuncting at Hofstra, and I was also adjuncting at Marymount. <laughs> so it's quite a lot of running around just to be able to pay my bills. And then I got lucky that Hofstra really liked me and they offered me a visiting professorship for the year, which gave me quite a lot of stability. And what I did at the same time was also I joined an internship with Seldara Medical, which offers you a chance to learn about different aspects of the biotechnology industry. And they help you understand what it takes to take an academic technology from the lab setting and reach all the way into a actual product to market. And I learned about IP, uh, intellectual property. I learned about how to assess these technologies, what are the different sources of funding, what it takes to get through a clinical trial. Which, so it was a tremendously learning experience. And I was doing that while I was a visiting professor at Hofstra, which had, you know, being a professor is quite challenging, as we all know, through teaching. And, and when you're not adjuncting anymore, but you have like a full-on visiting professor position, the duties are a little bit higher. And the, teaching load is obviously a lot more. So I was juggling both of those at the same time and trying to figure out what my next step should be in my career at the same time. And I was, you know, just wasn't sure what to do. I, I had a couple of different interests. Uh, Saldara was starting to help me narrow down my interests at the same time. And then somebody I had networked with about a year ago reached out to me and he said, hey, listen, I know you're teaching right now and I know your goals are to be in the biotechnology industry. I'm working for this company and the company Stem Cell Technologies and I'm their field salesperson and come talk to me about it. There's a position available. I think you might like it. It'll be a good first step for you to take. And I never thought about sales as a position before. Anytime I thought about it, I just have been very dismissive of it. And I think a lot of us are because of, of sales, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> has a negative connotation to it right off the bat. So you have to, you know, think about that a little bit. The more I looked at the company itself, I understood that it's not just the selling aspect. You really have to understand a very wide-ranging portfolio of products. So the company itself provides reagents and solutions for reprogramming stem cells into different lineages. And it's a quite an arduous process. And when I sat there and looked at it, I had to understand lineages starting from just basic stem cell maintenance to understanding how to take a step-by-step step into a particular type of neuron and there are so many different types in there so i have to understand that i have to understand how to go into the other different organs intestine whether it's kidney or hepatic so the science aspect was pretty solid there which is what you know as a scientist you obviously want that in your corner you want to be able to talk about science and learn new science at the same time so that was very attractive to me and there are other things about the culture that were very, very attractive. And I ended up applying. So my friend basically forwarded my resume on my behalf. A resume which, mind you, I spent three months working on and created 100 different versions of it without exaggeration because I applied to that many different biotechnology companies because I still was kind of trying to get back to the bench side of it. So I had all these different versions, so I just sent him one and he, he forwarded to the HR person and I went through the interview process. And I liked it the more and more I, I talked to the people at the company. I went from not being sure, not wanting the role to really starting to want the role. The interviews went great. The people treated me really nicely. 
And this will be able to Vancouver for the actual final round of interview where I'm at the corner of the company. Uh, so it's a Canadian company that I work for. And I met the higher up management team and the executives and interview process was great. I have to say that after all the interviews that I went through, this was the one interview process where I wasn't stressed out for a singular second. I just, I was confident because I knew the answers that I was giving were good and they weren't like heavily practiced. They were fairly natural. So it seemed like a natural fit in many ways. And then they offered me the position, which I thought about it for a week because it required me to move to Boston. I was in New York, I had a house in New York and family here. So it's something I had to think about. So it took about a week or so and then, you know, salary negotiations and all that stuff. And I ended up accepting. And so that's a lot to unpack there, but just to tell you about my current <laughs> role now, exactly what I do. So I work from home as it is about two or three days a week. And then I would go out and meet clients. And what does that mean? I talk to people in academic lab science. And then I also go talk to people in biotechnology. Again, I talk to more scientists. And the idea is to go have a conversation with them, learn about their research interests, see what they're doing in the experiments, and, and really think about how you can expedite that process and how you can help them, whether it's by a particular product or whether it's providing some technical knowledge that they might not be aware of. So the company's motto is scientists helping scientists. And that's what attracted me very heavily when I applied for that role. And it's something I get to do on a daily basis. I do generally have conversations about, well, this is how you're doing this experiment. Have we thought about doing it this way? This would be a faster way. Or learn in the same time because they talk to me about their research and I get to learn at the same time. Obviously, selling is part of it, but I think learning that sales skill is going to be an asset at any time in your life because you know the idea is, is basically what you're trying to do in a grant but only now you have to do it on the spot you know you write a grant because you're trying to convince somebody you're making a sales pitch to somebody not to uh, give you their money so here you have to do it on the spot in person so that skill is i think very very valuable and you get to learn some business aspects of how the company operates and the company is pretty stable. They like to promote people from within. And they have a lot of lateral movement. People stay usually for multiple years. There's not a lot of high turnover. So that's a glimpse of what I do overall. So what are the background of the people that you work with? Do you work on a team? And if so, what are, do they have PhDs in lots of different things, things like that? The overall sales team is very heavily science-oriented. Most of them, at least the people in the field themselves, like me, at a minimum have a master's, if not PhD. So there are a lot of PhDs. Some of the most brilliant people I've met, just very smart, right? And for many of them, this is the first step in their careers, as it is for me also. A lot of them have science PhDs. It doesn't have to be necessarily about stem cells, but an understanding of either molecular biology, cell, cell biology, or any type of advanced science degree is something that helps quite a lot. On a day-to-day basis, I am fairly autonomous. I do a lot of the work on my own, but I, I do have a team that I'm a part of in the sense that, so if you have something called an inside person who is in the office most of the time and you get to talk to them about various aspects of the job and then I have my own manager. So I guess that's a trifecta of a team that I work in, but most of the time I'm pretty much on my own. I'll communicate with them as I need on a daily basis. But I'm pretty much on my own, which I didn't realize, but it suits my personal working style quite a lot because I used to be like that in a lab. You know, you're on your own doing all the experiments and setting your own schedule. So it, it really does suit me because I'm used to 
setting up my own day. I'm used to setting up my own structure and making sure that I'm productive. So it works really well for me in that regard. So it's a Canadian company, but there are offices around the world or is it just North America? So it's a, it's a global company at this point. Um, their headquarters is in Vancouver. They have an office in the Boston area, but because of the nature of the job, a lot of us work remotely, they don't really need offices everywhere. So I think they're thinking of opening an office in New York at some point, but the Boston office is the only one outside of the Canadian territory. And they also have then branches in Europe and in China as well. So they have some offices, not a lot, but they have some offices there, but the majority of the business is happening in North America. You mentioned you wrote a whole bunch of resumes in terms of like changing from a CV to a resume and preparing for industrial interviews as opposed to academic one. What did you find the most different for going into industry? Well, so this was a long and painful process in terms of learning how to do this resume. (laughs) In some ways, like grant writing, where you just want to write a lot, but you're only allowed to write a sentence on it. Right. And that sentence better be effective in communicating what you're trying to say. And part of the reason I had so many different resumes prepared is because each job posting requires a separate customized resume for that. And what does that mean? I mean, just to give you a general <laughs> couple of things that I that I went through was I would look at the job posting. I would make a word cloud out of it. And I'll make sure that the big words that are in the word cloud are included in my resume. That's just one. And then the other thing was that each sentence of the resume had to have a particular structure to it. You had to tell them what you did, how you did it, and what was the result of that. And I think that takes a long time to master. And I, I haven't written a resume in about a year now, so if I had to go back to it, I'll, I'll be suffering again. But uh, <laughs> I had to learn a lot by reading a lot of different resume articles and talking to a lot of people, networking quite a lot. Yeah, the resume itself was just, is a gargantuan task of mastering that. So that's just one aspect of it. But the other thing that I did was I networked and make LinkedIn your best friend. Yeah. I networked and not just where you click on somebody and you send them an invite. No, you have to do more than that. You have to study up the background a little bit. Who are this person? Why are you asking them to connect with you? Like what's what's your end point, right? One of the biggest things that I've learned is start with the end goal in mind. And that's yeah. in life in general. So in this case also, what is what do you want out of this person? And you have to be more than that. I want a job out of this. No. Yes, that's the ultimate goal. But you're trying to establish a relationship, which is a difficult thing to establish in a short amount of time. You have to kind of study up the background a little bit and you have to recognize that you can't really offer much to this person because they already have a position, right? So you send a little bit of message saying, hey, my name is XYZ and I would love to connect with you and learn about your experiences or something along, something short about that. And they can choose to not talk to you. Fortunately for me, I, a lot of people are willing to talk. And I think a lot of people, once they reach a position and they understand that they have struggled to reach that position, then want to give back on some level. I, I basically grew my network from like 100 people to like 500. And I made sure that anybody I connected with, I sent a personal note. And this didn't happen overnight, but this it was a months, months long process. 
how was the interview process? Was it kind of what you would think standard industry interview questions or was there anything that surprised you about it? The interview process itself for stamp cell was great. I have interviewed in a couple other places where it was a lot more rigorous. And this also depends on the nature of the job, right? So here they needed my scientific background, but they also wanted me to have some some sort of business savvy and be able to communicate both on a superficial level and at a deeper level. So here the questions were never about my research. It was more about how you would approach a particular person in a given situation. Let's say you walk into a lab, who do you want to talk to? How do you identify the people that are going to actually help you with the ultimate goal, right? So it was those types of questions. And I I think having worked in a lab provided quite a lot of advantage because I knew where funding levels are controlled at each level. I knew who are the people that are going to be able to push something. It's usually the postdocs, it's the grad students that you want to have conversations with because they're there seven days a week, uh, or at least five days a week minimum. And they're the ones who are actually utilizing the tools that you want to provide. So it was those types of conversations about, okay, and they want to know, and I think a lot of a lot of us don't emphasize this enough, that PhDs are masters of learning, right? That's what you do best. You're given something and you break it down and you read 50,000 articles on it and you integrate it and you learn. So I think they were, they were looking for somebody who was willing to be open-minded and learn the process of the sales, but also continue to keep their scientific background intact. So that process, the interview process here was fairly easy in that regard. Uh, they asked questions, pretty standards, why do you want to work for stem cell? Why do you want to come into sales? Like you have a pretty scientific background. Why don't you want to be continuing that down road? Like are you done with being a scientist? And these are all questions that seem benign, but they you need to be able to answer them in a particular way <laughs> because they're looking for you to slip up, right? And say the wrong thing. Because stem cells are very, very good with the hiring process and what I mean by that is they, they hire some great people and the fit matters and the culture matters. And I haven't met a single person as stem cell that I wouldn't want to work with. And they do that through a very uh, rigorous screening process. And I personally enjoyed it. But on the other hand, when I interviewed from the company, that was an eight-hour interview. It was a very, very rigorous. But the reason it was an eight-hour interview was because their focus was on not only can you do the science, but are you going to fit in our rigorous, intensive culture? And you met tons and tons and tons of people. So not only are they looking that can you do the science well, and a lot of us can, but are you going to be able to work in an industry environment? What does that mean? Meaning they'll tell you what you need to work on, but the results have to be produced in a certain way. They have to be faster. They have to be, in some ways, a lot more rigorous because whatever they're producing has to go into clinic. That's their ultimate goal. They're not necessarily doing it just to publish, right? Even though yeah. they do that, but the ultimate end goal is different. They're trying to put out a product and market that's going to serve a patient population. Yeah. So their working pace is much different. It's an intense environment. So yeah, that was a much, much more intense interview where I got through the science process, but I didn't know how to answer the HR interview. Like I didn't know how to answer, why do you want to work here? Yes, yes, I understand you have a great scientific background, but what makes you think you can survive here or you can do well here? And I didn't know how to answer that question. And the key to that was you have to study that website and memorize what they write on there. And in some ways, just rephrase that, that you have to tell them because that's what they're looking for. They want you to tell them why this company is so great. They want you to tell them that 
I want to work for this company because you do this, you do this, you do this, you do this, you do this. So they want to know that you have a familiarity, not just on the scientific side, but also on the business side. And that was my first interview out of PhD. I mean, it was brutally intense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it sounds uh, it. Yeah, so different companies do it differently. I think with Stamps, a lot of things fell into place. I enjoyed the interview process. I wasn't stressed out. I, I liked the people that I met from the get-go. The managers that I interviewed me were very scientific-oriented. They were also good and kind people, and, and that showed. And a lot of times, I think interviewers try to do this, aha, gotcha moment. They try to do yeah. that with you. Nobody ever tried that with me at Stem Cell. And I really appreciated that. You said you were doing an internship while you were a visiting professor. How did you come to get that kind of industry internship even as you were still teaching? So our common contact, Eric Vieira, told me about that. that. And he said, hey, I think you will benefit from this. Because he, I was quite in touch with Eric throughout the whole process of leaving PhD. Even before leaving PhD, I was talking to him quite a lot. And he knew my struggles after leaving postdoc. And he's like, hey, there's this internship coming up. It'll be beneficial just to learn. Give it a shot. I did. I was very fortunate and I'm very happy that Solar accepted me for that. I learned a tremendous amount from there. Okay, gotcha. And how was it structured? Like it's, it, it must have been somewhat flexible for you to have been the visiting professor on top of doing the internship. What was the structure of it? Yes. Yeah, so I had to go in one day a week to be there in person to have those meetings. And then every week there was some sort of project that you had to work on. So they partially pay you, but you're really there to learn. I think the payment, as much as it helps, you know, every dollar counts, but you're really there to gain some experience and really learn about the industry. So there was some sort of project due. The first week was, it was like, okay, read a paper on this very immune-based technology and try to get an understanding of it. And I'm not an immunologist. So for me, I spent that entire week as any good PhD would by reading a lot of articles and trying to understand <laughs> that one article by reading 15 articles <laughs> and on top of teaching and, and grading and all of that stuff. And what I was doing at Hofstra, the classes were very heavy in terms of writing. So I had a lot of grading. To do. But I think for me, at least, I needed to do all these things simultaneously and to feel like that I am being productive and not wasting time and constantly moving forward in my goal of getting an industry job. So they would have some sort of project do every week that I had to like either present on or talk about or have a decent understanding of some projects took longer than the week, some projects took shorter. You mentioned that there wasn't that much turnover in this company, but in other biotech companies, there's a huge amount of turnover. Are there professional development opportunities through the company, especially because they kind of want to promote within? Um, yeah, I think they want you to develop there. They, it's, it's interesting. Stamsel really is invested in your personal development. They want to know what do you want to do after you're done for the first year? What are your bigger goals? And so what did you learn from this particular year? And how have you grown? And how are you going to leverage that to become better next year? So they invest quite a lot into your training. When you are hired, you go through quite an extensive training. I, I you have to do lab training. So you spend about a week in the, in the lab learning, and you have lectures in the morning, and then you spend the rest of the day in labs. So essentially, like a very intense workshop, because they have such a big product line. So you go through that training. So you're learning more science, but at the same time, you have to start now dealing with people and start handling your territories. So there is quite a lot of lateral movement in the, in the company where people go from sales into another 
associated department or completely different department. And they have, I believe, training programs set up for each of them. And you got this position also through a contact that you had made. How had you met them? So that's a good story. So I met that person on Facebook, surprisingly. <laughs> I had no contact with this person before, but we were part of a common group and somehow we ended up talking. And he was a postdoc. I was very freshly out of a postdoc and had sworn that I would not step back in his lab again. <laughs> and we had a couple of conversations and I think he was there for almost a year before he reached out to me because they were looking. They were looking for people in New York at that point. And he is like, you know what, I, I know somebody who I talked to a few times and we had had good conversations. So he referred me and he reached out to me. Yeah, and that's how that came, process came about. But we found that relationship very organically. We just happened to be part of this group on, on Facebook and then we just connected. We had a conversation first about postdoc, what I'm doing, how we want to do this, and giving each other advice on how to get better. And we touched base periodically maybe three, four times. And any time we talked, we had really good conversations. And he thought of me, which I'm grateful for. So, yeah. You touched on it a bit, but skills that you're still using now that the PhD established or refined for you for your current position in industry, like transferable skills? I think the ability to engage anybody is key and not just for sales, but I think it's communication. So in, in short, is very, very transferable skill in any career, whether it's yeah. written or it's, it's verbal or when you're up there in a meeting and presenting to your peers, be personable, learn how to communicate that. It's nervous. I understand that. And I've been there. It's, it's nerve wracking to put your ideas out there and have them be like picked apart. But communication is something you have to master on all levels, whether it's writing a grant or writing a blurb or having two sentences to summarize your research. Yeah. Communication is very, very big, especially in sales. You have to be able to go talk to anybody. You have to be able to make that move. So communication is something that's very, very big. And I think then the other thing is that being able to troubleshoot in the sense that problem solve, right? That's what we naturally built to do. That's our conditioning for the entire six, seven years that we spent doing this program is to identify the problem and then break it down and solve it. Only if you don't have six, seven years here to do this, you have to do it in, in a much shorter time. And the problem can be a real scientific problem where you're talking to a customer and they have a particular issue in the experiments, right? And you have to figure out how to solve that problem, whether you figure it out on your own or you reach out to your R&D department and they're like, hey, this is the problem. This is what I was thinking. Is this the right approach? Do you have a better suggestion for this? And then provide that solution, but also at the same time, provide a solution in a way where they understand the value of your approach. So that's communication and problem solving simultaneously that you're going to need. And as much as I didn't like it when I was in the program, the fact that teaching is a requirement and teaching is a valuable skill, very valuable skill, as much as it interferes with the actual work you want to do. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we all complain about the students. I know we all go through this, but it's a valuable skill. It's a real life skill. Being able to take a complex thing and break it down and communicate it effectively. So all these things are transferable. And then again, I think as I said this earlier, we are masters of learning. Being able to learn a new subject in a short amount of time and being able to communicate it. Those are very, very big skills. Yeah, absolutely. So we're pretty much going to wrap up. Is there anything 
else that you want to say or anything else you would recommend current GC students do who are interested in exploring fields outside of academia? I think start leveraging or at least establishing a network today. doesn't matter if you're in your first year or you're in your last year. Start doing it today, whether it's by attending events or through LinkedIn, which is a great forum. Start building a network and start building these relationships, but don't do it in the way that I'm going to build this relationship today and a week is going to pay off. Start sowing the seeds and you don't know where they're going to take off. I mean, that's what happened with me, right? I spoke to this person four times or for a year. I never really stopped to this person for a job, but they thought of me because we had interactions. We had built some sort of relationship. And when you do reach out to people on LinkedIn, don't just send a blind invite. You write a message. I personally, when I get them, for the most part, turn them down if I get a blind invite. And when you network with these people, follow them. Really see what they're doing. Conduct informational interviews. That is key. Informational interviews are very, very important. I would treat them as real interviews. Take those seriously. Don't just show up to an information interview like, hey, so I'm looking for a job. How can you help me? Do not do that. I've seen that happen. It's a surefire way of ending that potential relationship right there. Take it seriously. Do your prep work on that person. Again, start the conversation with the end in mind. What are you trying to get out of this? So have those questions ready for that person and then ask them for advice to give to you and how they can maybe guide you a little bit. So it's almost like seeking mentorship in some ways. And you pick a career line that's associated with a scientific PhD in Florida. And this takes time. Nothing is going to have overnight. And as pressing it is to get a job because you're worried about bills and graduation and this and that, takes time. So start doing it now. And try to learn as much as you can about different career tracks. Explore now, explore early. I would say if you're in your first year, start adding at least one person a day. If you're in your last year and you need a job, start adding 10 people per day. <laughs> when somebody really knows you, they can speak to your value in a better way. Well, thank you so, so much for sharing your experiences and all of that wonderful advice. Thank you for thinking of me and really thank you for having me. That's a wrap for this episode of Alumni Allowed. I want to thank Uday for coming on the show to share his experiences as a scientific sales representative. Remember to stay tuned for more episodes of Alumni Allowed, published every two weeks during the fall and spring semesters. Subscribe on iTunes and you'll automatically be notified of new episodes. Also, check out our Facebook, Twitter, and career planning website at cuny.is slash career plan for more updates from our office or to make appointments with our career counselors. Thanks for listening and see you next time.